and welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by CarsGuide, ready to rip into car stuff that's caught our eye this week. I'm CarsGuide Deputy Editor James, and with me is Senior Journalist Richard. Oh, good morning. Good afternoon. And, and regular contributor Chesto. Howdy, well. This week, we're looking at the best new SUVs heading for Australia in 2021. We'll check in on some fresh metal in the Cars Guide garage, and we'll also deal with possibly the world's most reflective and caring billionaire in this week's Muskwatch. <laughs> so stay with us. But first, some feedback. And, and last week's main topic of conversation was uh, the prospect of a GR version of the Toyota Hilux. And we got a fair bit of feedback, which was great. Thank you. Um, Peter Crott says, Toyota's smart. If the other manufacturers don't watch out, they'll be at 30% market share soon. Um, you know, these GR versions open up the brand to people like him that until now had been thinking of Toyota as white good on wheels. And he's also say, he also says, look, all their new models actually have styling as well. So that's starting to wash through, that people are saying Toyotas look good. And now there's some dynamic models that they can have. So he sees it as a logical extension of Toyota's offering, which I think I is pretty right. Couldn't agree more. For years, all, to, all Toyota had was uh, bulletproof reliability. Now, they've still got that reliability, <clears> but <throat> they're adding things like style and the way they drive and performance. So, yeah, they're going to be, a if they're yep. not already, an even bigger powerhouse. At a, at a price, there. though, Chester, at a price. Though. At a price, yeah. Yaris yeah. Uh, retailing for now. Well, nobody knows. That's the great mystery. It was 39, now it's 45. Who knows what it will be tomorrow? It's like, it's like a Tesla share. <laughs> All right. Now, Marco Vess says, GR Hilux is all well and good, but he's waiting for the GR High Ace, um, which will be <laughs> quite an interesting bit. And Richard, we'll get to your uh, IMAX N drift bus uh, mm. experience in a minute. But he thinks, um, and then DeCook came in and said, DeCook, Richard, you're... Um, oh, DeCook, hey thinks a GRMN high ace would be dope. Um, <laughs> imagine being added to this Hall of Fame, and he gives a, a link off to um, another site uh, that, that listed the best minivans in all the world. I think it's uh, Donut Media, and it's quite fun. And one of the ones they called out is called the Brewbaker Box. Now, this is a vehicle I had no idea exist existed. No, YouTube will be able to see... Um, an image of it and some footage of, um, of the site. From 1972 to 1979, it was fiberglass based on the VW Type 1 uh, chassis, and it is extraordinary. So people Wait. on YouTube, click on that link that um, de Kulk has put into our comments from last week's show. It's amazing. But Richard, it, yes, you, you ate Richard Berry's, actually drove the Hyundai IMAX in drift bus, didn't they? Yeah, that's right. Um, it was going to be um, an April Fool's Day joke, but they, Hyundai Australia didn't quite um, have it ready in time. So what they were going to do, Hyundai in Germany came up with this comgen, like a computer-generated image of, a, of an IMAX, IMAX uh, you know, um, people mover uh, that had been slammed and had been end. So it had been painted yep. the blue and it had end wheels and, you know, it had end aero kit and everything like that. Well, Hyundai Australia took it one step further and they didn't tell Hyundai's anywhere else in the world. They didn't even tell head office in Korea. And they went ahead and they actually made this van come true. So they took a six-cylinder engine out of a <clears throat> Genesis somewhere in the world. They brought it in, put different transmission. They put used end parts. They upholstered all the seats with end fabric and end leather material. Uh, they put oh, aero yeah. all over it. 
They did a fantastic job of it. And then Amazing. they gave it to journalists to drive around a racetrack. So <laughs> it's pretty good. I can't Even believe we, we still live in a time where this happens. Um, yeah. And it was yeah. a diabolical machine. Yeah. Um, the video is up there. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, you know, when it came to do the video, I was like, we've got to get eight people in it. And then I thought, oh, if we can do eight Richard Berries, and we've got a video editor who's able to do that type of, you know, technical magic. What, um, there weren't actually eight Richard No, Berries? no, there's only, there's uh, only, the, 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 the other seven were one. killed when they escaped from the laboratory. Um, <laughs> can, can I, and, do you mind if I make a small request moving forward? Can we ban the term eight Richard's Berries? it's conjuring some terrible images Testo, did you i sensed that you might have found a picture of the brubaker box yes not not only did i find a picture of it i'm going to send this exact one through so we can have it up on the podcast you can see it tell me this is not where musk got the cybertruck inspiration from it's it's almost it's like a covered cybertruck i actually love it i think it looks really amazing and it's a huge cult car um, it was it was designed particularly for California as a surf box. You know, you put your board in there and you yep. can sleep in it and all that stuff. So yeah, it's huge fun. Um, awesome. look, Neza, our old mate Neza, yes. also said, you know, keep your high performance utes, boys. My money's still waiting for the legendary Range Stormer. Now that didn't immediately Stormer. click with me, but I did a bit of uh, desk research. Two thousand four Detroit show, Mark One Range Rover Sport. It was oh, on. Yeah. On 22s, scissor doors, it had the, the kind of 4.6 litre, pretty much standard engine, but just a searing orange paint scheme. So Nez is waiting for that one yeah. uh, rather than a GR Hilux, and I think it'll be a long wait. That feels like the kind of car where they had about $8.50 to do a concept and said, well, let's put maybe change the hinges on the doors. I don't know. Absolutely. Have you ever yeah. seen, you don't see them very often in the wild, but the two-door Range Rovers look ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Ridiculous. Right. Do you mean like like an that. early one, the first generation one? Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Well, look, David Anderson says, crikey, and 10 points for use of the word crikey, by the way. Um, <laughs> I hope the economy can improve at the same rate as Hilux prices. Maybe they haven't noticed the recession. And this was because um, Byron had done an exercise where he looked at Toyota because they have such a broad spread of models going back such a long way and then put it in terms of cost of living and, and adjusted the currency to current dollars. And while most Toyotas were more affordable um, as a factor of income and, and cost of living, et cetera, the utes had become more expensive, relatively speaking. Um, now, Andrew1974 said that he doesn't, he doesn't think that way of comparing historical pricing um, is fair. Um, he's had Hiluxes for 25 plus years. Yes. Um, a decade ago, a ute was 90% for work. You know, that, that 90% of yeah. those bought were for work. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that number is probably 60 to 70% for work and that they're more flexible. They can be tourers, towers, used for camping, fishing, hay haulers, all of that thing. So then, and you get your, your five-year tax deduction, which is a nice sneaky one. But he's saying the nature of what is a ute has changed. Mm. Well, that it's not really apples with apples. You might say that cars have progressed as well, but utes have maybe changed more. Andrew's 46 years old now. And, um, well, you know, he's seen, he's seen, you know, family wagons become SUVs and, and, and you know, car-based utes become, you know, basically mm. pickup trucks. So yeah. 
He yeah. knows. Mm. Yeah. It, uh, in fact, I think I think that's James's first car behind him. So you've seen some changes too, James. <laughs> I have. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm as shaky as the tiller is now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now we just had some some general commentary, and our old mate Jim Danick uh, wanted to correct the record. Um, it was actually Birdie that was talking about an MG smorgasbord. So um, Birdie had said that MG was offering essentially a smorgasbord of models, whereas some other um, Chinese makers were just fairly focused on a Solus um, offering. Um, and, yeah, fair point. But I'd, I'd um, credited that to, to Jim. And then Birdie came back and said, yeah, I did, and that he's still salivating at the thought of a post-COVID $40 banquet C. Uh, which is great when you've got your, you know, your multiple banquet choices. Um, yes. So good on you, Bert. Um, John Paul Cavillan says Yaris GR, 10K less than the original asking price, or at least it was. Um, is it a scare tactic to get pre-sales moving? What are your thoughts? I mean, Toyota's justification for this was to land the GR brand. Yeah, okay, Supra, it's technically a GR Supra, but there hadn't been much of a job on highlighting that GR bit. So with the Yaris, it was let's get some of these cars on the road. Um, but is it just to get people into action and build build the car park? What do you what do you think, Chesto? Do you do you, what's the tactic? I have some strong views on this very topic because let, uh, let me start Ooh. by saying this: the GA Yaris is not a fifty thousand dollar car. It's not. It's it was a thirty nine thousand dollar car, and as of today, it's a forty five thousand dollar car. A car mm -hmm. is a car is worth what they sell it for. They, they may as well say oh, it's a $150,000 car, but we'll give you $100,000 off. So it was 35, right. it's, it's now point. 45. Yes, they were trying to, to, to build the GR brand in Australia, but I, I also just feel like it's a, a little misleading of Toyota to say, oh, the first thousand, you can have it for 39, the next hundred, you can have it for 45. And then after that, we don't know what the price is. We're talking about a multinational, gigantic corporation, the biggest car manufacturer in the world, and they don't know what the price is. They're going to decide mm -hmm. after they sell the next hundred. Mm -hmm. So this is a, it's a very careful strategy, but I do feel like it takes advantage of buyers, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. Richard, what do you think? Oh, look, look it, it's going to be very difficult to try and persuade someone to part, part with that amount of money for a Toyota. I mean, if it had a BMW badge or an Audi badge or, you know, probably even a Lexus badge on it, um, mm -hmm. maybe that's mm -hmm. what they should have done. They should have, if they wanted to sell cars for that $50,000 or, you know, $40,000 and it's a Yaris-sized car, then put a Lexus badge on it. But well, I just don't think it's going to fly. You just get a, you get a pack of Lexus <laughs> yeah. badges with the car and there you go. It's a yes. Lexus Yaris. I think a Lexus badge would make that car decidedly less cool, to be honest. <laughs> I think it's better with a Toyota badge. <laughs> All right, Will. Um, again, one of our old friends, Lofty Visions, says, uh, great show again, guys. Thumbs up. Thank you. Um, is Australia getting the new Puma ST? Looks particularly interesting, especially as it's based on the bonkers Fiesta ST. And I've got to say, sadly, the answer is no. Um, yeah. At this oh. point, it's a no-go primarily because the car is manual only. And Ford Australia has said that 98% of sales in that smaller SUV segment are actually auto, despite the fact that it's a performance-focused car, it's not worth their while. So for the time being, uh, sadly, Lofty, it's a no. Um, now, Jim Danik says, so Lexus used the Mercedes strategy of adopting new technology in its flagship model, letting it filtering, uh, let it filter down from there uh, and into the broader market. And then he poses the really interesting question, you know, where does that leave Genesis? Because technology, relatively speaking, is so affordable, 
it's mm. pretty much the same tech in the Genesis as you'll find, you know, in your Tucson. Right. Um, so, so how do you how do you differentiate on that level? I think it's a really interesting point. That that is so true. I, I was recently at the reveal of the new Tucson over at Hyundai's head office, and just parked about three or four cars over. Happened to be a GV80, the, the mm. Genesis SUV, and so mm. climbing out of the top spec Tucson into the GV80, it's not that big a difference, really. Like That's... the materials in the Tucson are fantastic. The tech's all the same, massive screens and everything else. It does it does kind of shrink that gap between it's exactly and it's exactly that comparison that that jim called out you know a tucson to genesis gv80 so yeah. it's fascinating that you actually did that but, it, but it's, it's a good point yeah i don't know how they differentiate it moving forward look i mean is this a case of would a genesis buyer necessarily know what's also in a hyundai because we talked about how there are maserati parts in that are shared between deep grand cherokees and that type of thing you know, you and I walk across the car park and we get into any Genesis and it's like, oh, that's the screen out of the yeah. Tucson. And yeah. that's, those are the, that's the air conditioning yeah. out of the Santa Fe. Um, yeah. But are they going to know? Yeah. I mean, they should know. I mean, well, it's hmm. interesting. Um, and Richard, you know, as a Skoda owner, uh, DeCook makes the point, look at hmm. Skoda. They yeah. were for many years officially banned, you know, by VW Group yeah. from acquiring the latest Volkswagen technology. They were always at least a generation mm. behind. But now they have a production-ready EV SUV, uh, which is the Enyaq. Um, <laughs> of Skoda, course. Which sounds like a, com a computer from Control in Get Smart. But anyway, <laughs> um, and he says that he, in his view, it's better looking than the VW ID4. Um, and also the Superb looks so much sleeker than the Passat and Audi A4. And he was crediting Tung with making a choice on, on buying a Skoda. Um, and there you are in a Skoda. That, that, that's one that has changed over time. Yeah, look, we've got, we've got a, a rapid space back. Um, that's, our, that's our family car. Um, and yeah, look, the, exactly 10 years ago, buying a Skoda was buying the previous generation, you know, Volkswagen. Mm -hmm. um, but... Something's happened. They're no mm. longer as ugly or, you know, as polarizing as they used to be. Um, and the technology is the same tech which has gone into the Volkswagen. So yeah. also yeah. the price has gone up because that was one of the ways that Skoda could actually market it. You know, yeah. it's a more affordable version. But these days, you're yeah. not saving too much money. Well, I suppose it'll be up to them to tune the dials as to, all right, how much tech, what's the price and reaching yeah, a right. sweet spot yeah. that still gives them some headroom up to Volkswagen yeah. and, and a market advantage, yeah. That's right. But, but um, further to your yeah. point, Richard, I think there's plenty of Skoda buyers who don't know that it's a, a Volkswagen link. You know, I, I don't oh, think, yeah. so, certainly in Australia, I don't think that Skoda is in a position that where it'll ever be able to cannibalise Volkswagen sales, even if the cars were near identical. But mm. I understand in Europe that might be a bigger challenge, but... But here it's, uh, I say this delicately, but it's unique. It's a unique proposition for unique people, Richard, like yourself and Tom. Well, look, that's true. Well, well, we live in, sorry, I our suburb. Say, I think Skoda is the new Saab. I think, yeah, I think Skoda is the European brand that pragmatists want to own because it's not shouty. You know, it's not a yep. look at me type brand, but it's quality and it has all the tech at a good price. Absolutely. And, but I reckon the Fabia, the Fabia wagon is just about the perfect inner west city car at the moment. I looked very closely at buying one a couple of years ago. Well, talking yeah. of inner west, where, where you and I, and Chester only lives a stone's throw up the road from where I do, there seems to be more Skodas per capita in this, in yeah. our two suburbs than there are anywhere. I'd Richard, I'd love to see you pick up a stone, chuck it out the window, and then Chester <laughs> cop it in the head on the other side. No, stop it. Hang on, I'm looking for a stone. <laughs> 
Okay. Now, Ian Thomas very cheekily says, what's that old Toyota Corolla doing parked in an EV charge station lot? Oh, the shame. Try a disability uh, parking space next time. Now, this is Mal's car, and it's actually not an old Toyota Corolla. Well, it is, but it's a special one, and Mal calls it Jif. Um, yeah. That's its nickname because it is the colour of a particular <laughs> brand of cream cleanser, and it is his um, uh, KE20 Corolla, which he's very proud yeah. of. So, Ian, be careful where you're treading. It's, it's actually, I, I would have called it the Pine Lime Splice because that's the colour. That's the colour. Morgan Luke, we were touching on a few oddities in the, um, the off-road space. Uh, he had an Overlander panel van at a local museum he once worked at. Now, this was Land Rover drivetrain with a 308 Holden V8 in it uh, under the body of, a, an a, um, I want to say, HZ um, or HX um, Holden. What a combo. says lots of fun to drive. I remember it had a panel of about 25 switches in the ceiling no idea what they did, uh, did, but it was very spaceship-esque. So you have all the little toggle switches up the top there. And finally, Jason Manning just said, very funny. Now, I don't know, I don't know whether, whether that means he thought the show was very funny or he's being sarcastic. But anyway, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for your feedback. We'll take, we'll take it as a compliment. We'll take yeah. it as a compliment, precisely. <laughs> now, we'll move on to the, the main topic of conversation, which is, um, 2021 and what's heading our way, it's always um, exciting to think about what's coming over the horizon uh, for the following year. Zombies, we're now, zombies I reckon. We're now, we're now in October, so it's not that far away. And specifically in terms of SUVs, this was a story that, that um, caused a, a bit of interest uh, during the week as a news piece on our website. So, yeah, the SUV phenomenon, it's not slowing down anytime soon. No. Um, and we've got quite a bunch of them, but we've decided to focus on half a dozen. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important ones in the first half of next year will be Toyota Kluger. Now, it's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, manufactured in the States. I think the Klugers that we get are from the US. And so, yeah. a, a rebadged version is called Highlander um, mm -hmm. in America. But it's, um, it's, we're going to have a hybrid Kluger um, as well for the first time in the model's history. But it's been a long time coming. April 2019, yeah. the car that we're going to see was uh, first seeing the light of day. So I reckon customers and dealers and everybody will be really keen to see it arrive. It's funny that, isn't it? I was actually at the New York show when that car was, when the Highlander version was revealed in April 2019. I can't believe it's still not here until somehow towards the middle of next year. It's yes. an incredible delay. Well, mm. and also just on a logistics um, standpoint, you think, all right, you've got to stop the factory producing the old ones at some point yeah. um, to ramp up your, your volume for the new one. How does all that work? But anyway, yeah. that's another issue, I suppose. But, 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 but the big news here, of course, is electrification. Toyota continues its hybrid push, and I have absolutely no doubt it'll be just success, successful in the Kluger as it has been in the RAV4 and others. We are now a great. hybrid market. Totally agree. I think the, the Kluger as well. I mean, the one thing which the Kluger has got, which cannot, which, which means it can't compete with CX-9 and stuff like that, is that V6 engine, which is so thirsty. Um, right. That look, what if a hybrid version of that is going to make it ultra, ultra, ultra competitive? Because at the moment, that Turbo Four and the CX Nine is just 
a good engine and so yeah. fuel efficient. Bear, bear in mind, Richard, in certain social uh, circumstances, people have uh, accused you of being fairly thirsty as well. <laughs> oh, look, you know, it's um, I'm very, I'm very, I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm coming out as a hybrid next year as well. So, <laughs> but, but, um... I think, I think it's um, it's a classic case, isn't it, where all those years ago, you know, um, 20, 20 or more years ago. Um, the Prius arrived and everybody was kind of looking at it sideways yeah. and oh, what's all that about? Mm. And now, so very strongly in the mainstream, hybrid has been embraced and it's really paying dividends for Toyota and this Kluger will be the next brick in that wall, I'd say. Mate, I'll tell you, DC, there's a, a bloke at Toyota called Sean Hanley who's their boss of, uh, of sort of marketing and very senior man in the Australian organisation. He was uh, very hugely involved in the launch of the Prius in Australia and, in fact, in trying to sell that to the media and to customers. And he, mm. you cannot wipe the smile off his face now because he loves telling people, remember when you said it wouldn't work? Remember <laughs> yes. when you said Australians wouldn't like it? Look at us now. <laughs> yes. And Sean, Sean Hanley loves calling a spade an fucking shovel. You know, he, yeah. he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't muck around. Yeah. No. Yeah. Sean's like the uncle at the Christmas party who appears – who he, he, he never never underestimate him, right? Because the way he talks makes him sound like just another knockabout bloke. But he's hugely intelligent yeah, bloke. Oh, um, and knows what he's talking about. But yeah, Toyota has become the hybrid, you know, company. And you know, overnight success only takes twenty years or so. That's right. So, that's right. Um, Prius came out in ninety seven, I think it was. Right. You know, and you see the other manufacturers trying to adopt hybrid quickly. And look, I love Hyundai as a brand, but you drive their hybrids compared to Toyota's and you can feel the difference in terms of seamless transitions and stuff like that. It's, you know, light and yeah. day. And, and, you, and you know what's interesting, that in the background, bubbling away, is hydrogen fuel cell with Mirai. Yes. And that, that's where Toyota intends Mirai to be the same as Prius in breaking yeah. ice on what they see as the, the primary future um, yeah. powertrain tech. That's right, because yep. everybody thinks hybrid's the new thing, right? Mm -hmm. and, it, and it is. Actually, it's not the new thing. It's the now thing. Yeah. Um, you know, hydrogen is the next thing. And you're right, with the Mirai, Toyota's had that going in the background. I just wonder if there's more to Hyundai with their hydrogen systems than, than we know about. I, I think just quietly, both of those boardrooms would be che cheering one another. Like, mm. great, you know, we're, we're yeah. both going down that path. Yeah. Um, and they're probably benefiting one another um, in doing so. Yeah. Infrastructure right. is key there, and it's very expensive. Oh, so yeah, the more people, the more people involved, the better. Now, JC, do you mind if we jump from Kluger into into Tucson? Is that going to Go ruin your list? Yeah, I think. That's perfect. Any order. And, uh, I'll tell you why. Let me just jump in here for one second. I saw that car. Look, the design might be polarizing to some. It's certainly adventurous. I like it. There is a risk that the traditional Tucson buyer might find it slightly out there. But I mm -hmm. do feel like they've dropped the ball in one critical point. And that is that internationally, there are hybrid and plug-in hybrid versions of that vehicle. No plan at the moment to launch them in Australia or, or no time frame for when is we might right? get them. And I, I look at cars like the RAV4, like the Kluger, mm. I think to myself, man, oh, man, that's got to be a screaming missed opportunity, doesn't it? Because there's a hybrid and plug-in hybrid uh, yeah, version. Yeah, internationally, that's right. Yeah. Oh, it seems like a no-brainer. So uh, I know that Hyundai oh, yeah, do want them, but they do, mm -hmm. it's my understanding that they just haven't been able to secure a time frame for getting them. So it does mean that essentially that car will launch without electrification, which in this day and age, and in fact next year when it does eventually launch, yes. I don't know, that feels like a missed chance to me. Yep. Yeah, look, I, we know that Hyundai definitely wants it and mm. something's happened and um, they can't get it. So it is a missed opportunity because the RAV will have been out almost two years by that point yeah. you know, with the hybrid yeah. you know, powertrain. So 
Yeah, but you can look, you'd know that their hands would be up for it. You'd know that they'd be on a waiting list, and we will get yeah. it. But should be here. But yes. on, on that card for a moment, though, Endron aside, gee, it is an impressive-looking thing. I, I like the design of it, but perhaps more importantly, inside in the top-spec models, it really shrinks the gap between mainstream and premium. Like, the cabin materials are on point. The technology in the cabin is really impressive. If you've driven the existing Tucson, which is starting to feel a little long mm. in the tooth now, the new one is feels light years ahead of it. Unreal. Unreal. It's, That's it's great. taken ages, though. I feel like we've had that current Tucson forever. Oh. Have we right. ever? <laughs> well, it's I mean, soldiering um, on. Yeah. it's interesting, Chesto, that you talk about um, the shift towards premium when you think about uh, another uh, arrival, um, well, two, in fact, CX-5 and CX-9 Mazda. Mazda as a brand has been pushing kind of upscale um, and yeah. they're expected, they're both expected to arrive in the first half of 2021. Um, yeah. And the focus is on in-cabin tech, um, specifically a bigger central display screen. Again. Um, you'll get a uh, rear AEB um, as opposed to just the forward AEB uh, and driver attention alert, even more safety. So Mazda's been packing in the safety and packing in the equipment and these two are, are possibly the next steps in, in that progression. Yeah, but JC, don't they desperately need an all-new CX-5? I mean, that, yeah. it, it's, it's been a terrific car. It is still a great car. It's been a real a doer for Mazda. But it has been shadowed now by the RAV4, which was an all-new yeah. model for Toyota. Mazda is – I mean, that is overdue now for an all-new model. Yeah. And these constant nip and tucks before they eventually get to electrification are just kind of delaying the inevitable. We, we need a new one of that. Yeah. At, at least change the taillights on that CX-5. Yeah. Because <laughs> – <laughs> Look, well, they need to admit that they've put the wrong tailgates from a C to taillights from a CX-3 onto the CX-5. They're too tiny. And look, you're right. It'll be a long time before we get an electric or a hybrid yep. CX-5 because they've, just, they've told us they're not going down the route because Australia doesn't deserve one because yep. we don't have the infrastructure to support it. It's all coal-fired power stations which are producing electricity. Richard, if if the tail lights offend you so much, couldn't you get down to super cheap and get some trailer lights and kind of yes. swap them out, do something yep. with the nice yep. digital ones that you can get, buy for your box yep. track? Get some good seat covers down there as well. Some and proper wheels. Yeah, the whole thing. Just before we move off, Mazda, just a little bit of intel on, on what's happening there. there. There was a great story written last year by an American publication called Automotive News who, who interviewed uh, Mazda's CEO on just where the hell this new CX-5 and CX-9 is. So those cars will ride off a new version of, of the brand's large infrastructure or, or larger platform. And it was pushed back and delayed to allow for electrification. But unfortunately, there's been no sign yet of that, that actually transpiring. Wow. So I think the delay with an all new one is the fact that they realize they need a hybrid or plug-in hybrid version. But again, no sign, no sign mm. yet. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll see what we make of them, such as they are, um, when they arrive first half next year. And also a 2021 arrival is Mitsubishi Outlander. Now, mm. that's obviously a mainstream and important offering for mm. Mitsubishi. And it's been described as bigger, bolder and better than before. Now, how else would you describe it? I suppose it's <laughs> smaller, meeker and smaller, worse than before. <laughs> it, looks, it looks like a Citroen, actually. It looks like yeah, a, right. like a C5 a cactus or something like that with the LEDs up high and headlights low. Now, yeah, this is an all-new all model, is it not? Correct. And oh, I think what you're getting is a, you've, you'll get AEB across the range, um, a lot of uh, advanced driver assist 
systems that may have been absent previously. Um, so it's upping the ante on, on safety um, and an improved plug-in hybrid option is a near certainty. That's what we're yeah. theorising anyway. I, mate, I just think that the words all new and Mitsubishi used in the same sentence are cause for celebration. <laughs> you, essentially, you essentially need to cut their models open and count the rings to figure out how old they are. So yeah. <laughs> all the new fact that we've got an all new one coming is exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, or, it will it will stay all new until about twenty fifty. But the fact that it's coming now is good. Longevity, <laughs> not of the individual car, but of the model um, as an entity. <laughs> but, um, but you know what? Can I just say very briefly? I know I'm sort of rambling on here, so forgive me. But I think that's actually really a real strength of Mitsubishi. You, you never hear stories about technology going haywire or mass recalls or problems. The fact that they have got older vehicles, older platforms, they at the very least you know you're buying something tried and tested, they've, aren't you? They've worked it out. Yes. Well, it's true. Um, it's one of the things which sort of, you know, frustrates, you know, us car journos is that the Mitsubishi ASX is so popular, but we know that it's also the oldest small SUV mm. on the market. But maybe that's, the, maybe that's the trick. Maybe that's the recipe for success. Don't change yep. it. Yep. It's not broke. Yep. Yeah. Um, exactly. If your ASX ain't broke. Yeah. Um, now, the next one, next cab off the rank, is a car that's arrived to much fanfare. It's already here, but new versions being a plug-in hybrid and hybrid mm. for the first quarter. Um, and I think they're arriving at different times, but it's the Kia Sorento. Yeah. So uh -huh. Kia's large SUV, uh, I want to say seven seat. Is, and yep. so it must be that the plug-in hybrid's first quarter and then the hybrid second half or, or the other way around. But Richard, you were mentioning earlier off air that they're important and much anticipated models. Hugely. So new Sorento, new generation Sorento arrived um, last month, September. Um, and look, pretty much the same engines that were in the, the previous one, even though the entire car is completely rebuilt, completely new, and it's it's bloody brilliant for the money. Um, it's yep, got a yep, yep, you know, yep. auto parking feature, which is out of this world. But the, the, the engines are still pretty old school. There's a 3.5 litre petrol V6 which is, you know, for God's sake, it's 2020. Um, and there's also a diesel, a four-cylinder diesel. They're both pretty thirsty and they're both pretty 1999 as far as engines are going, you know, wow. concerned. So yep. this, one of the, the main comments, you know, that, that we got in the video that we did was, when's the hybrid coming? When's the hybrid coming? Um, so it's really good to know that it is coming next year. They yep. desperately need it. Um, and it's going to put. It's they're going to need it for, for to, to match Kluger, um, and it's 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 exactly what that car needs. The car's a yep. modern car. It needs a, a modern powertrain and drivetrain. It's great. It's great that you mention it, Richard, because I'm I'm in one at the moment, um, and I'll talk about it next week. But and you've driven it extensively, um, you know, for the launch coverage that we've we've done. Um, but the, the first thing that strikes you is it's such a handsome-looking SUV. You know, it's, yeah, a, it's, great. it's a, a they've done a great job on the way the thing looks inside and out. So composed mm. and and sophisticated for a car in that that mass part of the market. It really yep. strikes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. sixty thousand dollars, and you're getting a car which you know looks great, um, and you know it's got a good warranty. It's hard to beat, really. And again, at the, at the risk of harping on, you'd, you'd think the Mazda CX-9 would be looking over a shoulder too at an electrified uh, yeah. Sorento coming. It's true. Actually, yeah. Richard, that point you make, just to backtrack quickly, Outlander, of course, 10-year warranty now. So, mm. um, you know, 
10-year, 200,000-kilometre warranty is pretty compelling um, in any part of the market, particularly in the SUV bit, I would argue. That will um, make Kia go to 10 years, uh, for sure. For I sure. Think, Maybe I, 11. They'll go to, they'll my, go to 11. My understanding is that they've been ready to pull that trigger for some yeah, time, whoever, yeah. whoever comes up and, yeah. and tries to get They've up. got the piece of paper. They'll just go to the drill and they'll go, all right, here we go. We've got it. Yeah, no, it's actually, a, uh, it's a big a, red lever in the in, in office. They just pull down Frankenstein style. There was a period last year where Hyundai were very strongly considering going to seven. They've decided not to in the end, but they were really looking mm. carefully going to seven. And and you're 100% right, Kia, we're just sitting in the background going, well, the moment you do, we're pulling the lever, we'll be dead. Yeah, so, but yeah. Will, they, will they go one more? Will they go one one more year? 11 well, years? It's to 11. Will they take it up to 11? It's always said Australia's best new car warranty on the back of all That's their vehicles, right. hasn't it? So they'll have to That's go all, right. have to go all the way to 11. That's or a good point. In one month. All right. Well, our, the final one that we've chosen out of out of a list, you know, the story that we've got on the side is a dozen. So this is the last of our half dozen, um, is the Jeep Grand Cherokee. Talk about cars that have been in gestation for some time. Right. Um, this, this one's been kicking around, but um, it's bound to be impressive. It is bound to be impressive. Chesto, what's your mail on it? Uh, well, I don't have a huge amount of mail on the new checker, to be honest, other than the fact that they, we, we all as a nation and as a motoring world seem to have been waiting a very long time mm, for it. About a decade. I, yeah. I, 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 without having done any research on this, which is my best way to deliver facts, I'd suggest the Grand Cherokee is probably the oldest current gen SUV we've got running around Australia at the moment, doesn't it? Is It'd stand a good chance. If it's, it's not, not it'd, it'd be close. Yep. And look, there is, you know, with, when you talk Grand Cherokee, you, you almost can't not talk about the, the recalls that have surrounded that car. There's been certain controversies over the last decade, of course. So yep. a brand new one for the, for the brand will sort of erase all that history and allow them to start again. But the, the really amazing thing, the thing that staggers me about is the Grand Cherokee is their best-selling vehicle internationally. And all that money, all that investment on uh, Jeep Renegades and new Cherokees and new um, compasses, et cetera, I can't, just can't believe it's taken this long for a new yes. Grand Cherokee. I would have thought mm. they'd be pushing the button on this five <clears> years ago. But it, d- anyway, it depends on do you, do you play to your strength or try and build up your weaknesses? You know, if, you, if you've got a strong performer... Do you try and round out the portfolio or just focus on what's working well? Yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which strategy uh, do you go with? I think the best thing about that new Grand Cherokee is that it's going to have seven seats. It's yeah, needed five, to have seven five seats. Or seven. Yeah. Five, or five, seven. Or seven. five or seven, yeah. It, I think if you've got a large SUV these days and it doesn't have a third row, no matter how tiny it is, I think, yeah. you know, you're missing out. But, yeah, I'm, I'm looking true. forward to it. Mm. So it's, 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 uh, it's going to push fourth, premium too. Definitely. Too true, too true. And it's, it's fourth quarter, so... Look, it's the best part of a year away, uh, but it is a starter for 2021. And so, it looks cool. I mean, if you look at the image on our website, I'm sure we'll have it up in the background. It looks cool. cool. What's, the, what's the ad campaign for Jeep at the moment, Chesto? Is it, they've, they've done the, I bought a Jeep thing, that's gone. What's they've, the they're they've now put it back. As I understand it, they're now redoing the I bought a Jeep thing, which what actually, is. to be honest with you, is actually shows uh, self-awareness that's sometimes missing from car company marketing. Yeah. They realise that, you know, it's no secret. They had a, they did that campaign. They sold through the roof. Then they had a really tough few years where people were complaining and having issues with their cars. There weren't enough parts. They didn't have the, uh, the dealership network set up to support it. And so they've kind of confronted that head on by saying they've actually brought it. I understand it, the same mm. actors from that original campaign oh, wow. back to do it again. Wow. And they and they kind of turned to the camera and say, look, you know, it's been a it's been a tough few years. We have. Uh, 
there's been issues and here's what the brand's sort of done to try and solve them. So, you know, yeah. that works for some people, works for doesn't, but, but for, it doesn't work for others. But for me, it's a fairly brave campaign, I think. Definitely, definitely. All right. Now, thank you. That, that will kind of wrap up our primary conversation, if you like. Um, and we're going to move into cars in our garage. Oh, yes. And Richard, I'd like to kick it off with you, please. And you've been in a Ford product, and it's new to Australia. It's been around for a little while, but it's, uh, it is now new to Australia. Yeah, look, it's been out for a couple of years in Europe land, but we have finally got a Ford Puma in Australia. It's a little SUV. Oh, awesome. I'm very interested in this. It's okay. So here, look, this is, I can, I can talk about it. The embargo's lifted. The story's up on, up on the website. Um, we made a video as well. Look, it's, I really wanted this to be good because Ford's got no SUVs left now. I mean, yeah. Endura's gone. They've still got Everest, but that's about it. And only yeah. about, you know, 15 people buy Everest a month. Well, it's more than that, but you know what I mean. Um, it's based on a ute, so it's not quite, you know, comfortable. Um, so this is, this is their – well, they've got, more, they've got more SUVs coming. There's Broncos and all sorts of stuff, with exciting stuff, which is coming. But for now, um, the Puma is their kind of, you know, their only real SUV – that have got on sale it's tiny it's about a nissan juke size about 4.2 meters long um it's got a tiny engine it's got a one liter three-cylinder engine um mm -hmm. it's turbocharged it's petrol it makes plenty of grunt it's got a seven-speed dual clutch automatic um it's practical it's got this thing in the boot called a mega box and um oh. and the mega box i climbed into the mega box and it's big enough to fit a whole me in the mega box and i can what? close the boot floor down over me, and I can. There's like it's almost like a bed. And the I mega thought, box. I thought, that, I thought the mega box would be something you pull out, put on your shoulder, slip the cassette in, get your roll. <laughs> yeah. out that time, you it's know? like that. Yeah. It's like that. The mega box has a plug in it, right? right. And you can you right. can you can fill it up with stuff. So you can fill it up with you know some ice cold cans of oh, whatever awesome. your favorite beverage is. That Sport, type of sports stuff. Sports drinks. Yeah. Sports drinks. Under that is a mini space saver spare. It's tiny. It's only about. It's only about that big. Um, but practicality, I can sit behind my seating, you know, my, my, my driving position. Uh, it is a small car. Um, cabin storage is good. Oh, all grades get a wireless charger. All yeah. grades get satellite navigation. Um, they all get an 18 screen. Um, the top of the range, there's three grades in the range. It starts with just the Puma, it's called. Then you go up to the ST line, which gets all the ST line parts, the same parts or the same body kit that you get on a, you know, a Puma ST, which we're oh, not yes, getting. Right. They'll look pretty much exactly the same. And then above that is the ST line V. And the V stands for Vignale. Um, oh, and wow. people that know their Ford stuff and their design stuff will know that Vignale was a designer, Italian designer, and Ford bought his the rights to his work, um, but they put his name on the car because in some Ford models, the Vignale is the top of the range, fancy, premium, luxury version. And, and it is a bit luxurious. There's chrome and there's leather and stuff like that. Good things are great practicality. Bad things are the engine and the transmission combination. Now, that engine, that uh, one-litre three-cylinder, has won awards galore um, since, like, 2013 or whenever it yeah. came out. won an Emmy, a BAFTA. It did. Uh, it won a yeah. Tony. It won yeah. a Razzie. Hell, <laughs> it, won, it won yeah. gold at Seoul. Um, right. <laughs> um, the only problem is, in isolation, nothing wrong with it. But combine it with that transmission, the seven-speed dual clutch, 
and it's a they bring it that that that, ent- that combination brings out the worst in each other between the oh, transmission yeah, and, the, and the engine. Yeah. So you've got turbo lag which exists in the in the in the one liter, but then you've got this dual clutch which isn't anywhere near as competent or refined or smooth as a Volkswagen dual clutch. So you've got this delay in your turbo lag, and then you've got this jerky transmission from the from the dual clutch. Then you've got stop-start idles, fuel-saving technology. Combine them all, and to drive in the city, it's a complete schmozzle. Oh, so, yeah. um, yeah. but to drive on the highway, it, you don't even notice the the jerkiness. But at low speed in the traffic, going up King Street in Newtown in Sydney at five o'clock in the afternoon, it's 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 like this. Um, wow, oh, that's yeah. a problem. Yeah. Gold star for use of the word schmozzle too, Richard. We uh, <laughs> yeah. did that one in the podcast last week. Well done. Apart from that, that though. Sense. It's a great car. If they had that in a manual, it would be brilliant because that, that six-speed manual, which was in the Fiesta Sport years ago with that one-litre three-cylinder engine, was a hoot. So bring it out in a manual and it would be great. I'm very jealous of the countries that are getting a Puma ST because that'll be great too. Mm. Gee, that's, mm. a, that's a pretty significant flaw though, Richie. That, that, a car like that is going to spend all of it on the city and on the open road. So that is a, yeah. that's an issue. It will, and I lived with it. You know, put about two hundred and fifty k's on the clock. We had all three grades. I drove it two hundred k's to Newcastle and back to Sydney. I, I did the daycare drop-offs in it. So on the highway, it's fine. And if you live in the suburbs and you spend a lot of time on motorways, you, you know you're going to love it. But if you live in the city and most of your driving is spent at under twenty-five k's an hour, it's you're going to notice it. You will get used to it, but you know it's not as smooth as say it's just a regular six-speed auto and a four-cylinder engine. It's not as smooth as that. <laughs> I've made that argument by myself before. People think that a dual-clutch automatic is this futuristic solution to gearboxes, but actually in a lot of applications, an old torque converter is the is the way it forward. Is. A simple six-speed. Is. Is, even, is, look, uh, and I hate to say this, jerkiness. I hate to say this too, but even in the city, a CVT, right, is, yeah. is more appropriate. You know, the CVT and the CHR, right, you know, yeah. Richard, I think I can hear your parents calling you. you <laughs> I'm coming, you might, Mom. You might need to leave the room. But <laughs> at, this, at this stage, uh, thank you for that, Richard. We'll move on to you, Chesto. Mm. And you've been driving a Hyundai that's in camouflage but probably didn't need to be, but it's interesting that's because right. we were just talking about dual clutches and fill us in. It's transmission all the time today, my friends, because I was in the i30N with the dual clutch automatic. Now, it's hard to believe this, actually. I, I was a bit staggered myself despite being on the launch. The i30N manual launched way back in 2017, which... Uh, <laughs> Did it yeah, really? I, was, I drove it in 2017. Yeah, I can't believe yeah. it. Wow. Anyway, as far back as then, they were saying, yeah, well, look, we're working on an automatic. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And, and it has taken them some time, but the 8-speed has now finally arrived. And in fact, we'll launch in Australia in the first half of next year. Now, a, a caveat here, and I made this point in the review too, a lot of people jump up and down at the thought of an automatic hot hatch. You know, a, man, a manual is the only true way to drive it, the only true way to squeeze enjoyment out of it. But to be honest with you, I'm, I'm going to call bollocks to that because I drove both manual and automatic around Wakefield Park, uh, uh, the, the circuit out there in Western Sydney. Uh, sorry, not in Western Sydney, in Goulburn. And uh, the automatic was faster for a start around the track. But also yep. the way that the N brand has tuned that gearbox, it's really well set up for sport driving. Hey, like even if you just leave it in its absolute automatic settings, you don't touch any 
anything else. It'll really cling onto gears. It'll shift down into a corner. It'll hold a lower gear as you burst out of an apex. I was getting it to chirp between second and third in pure automatic mode, meaning it was hanging on to second until the last possible moment before banging into third. So they've done a really great job of actually making that car feel super sporty with an automatic. And of course, it's even more fun when you take control yourself. Yep. Now, there are a couple of other changes. There's, uh, so we, are, of course, only get the performance pack cars, which means our engine is now more powerful too. So it's the same two-litre turbo, but it's gone from 202 kilowatts to 206 kilowatts and 353 newton metres to 392 newton metres, which corresponds mm. to a drop in the sprint to 100 kilometres an hour, which is now 5.9 seconds. So it's more powerful. Automatic is just as fun. Uh, and it really, you know, honestly, it carries it in sort of legacy forward. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And given the choice, I'd take the order. Um, I just would uh, let you know, Chester, that if you're going to call bollocks, I've I've already spoken to him this morning. He'll probably be at home, so you'll <laughs> you'll definitely get onto him. Yeah, Peter um, bollocks, Peter yeah, bollocks. Right. But I mean, just over five seconds is still a quick car. I mean, you split yeah, it. Yeah, it's really. Quick. It's it's yeah yeah. There's nothing in it. Mm. No, it's quick, and uh, I mean, it is quick, and it's it. Uh, Again, it's an automatic gearbox that does not feel like it's tuned for, uh, you know, for fuel economy or efficiency or, or anything else. It's tuned yeah. for fun, especially yes. in that sort of end setting. So, yeah, no complaints here. As I said, I mean, I guess the, the greatest compliment I can pay it is if presented with both the manual or the automatic, my money would go into the automatic. Wow. Wow. Amazing. All right. Controversial. That's fantastic. I want to mm. just finish off this trio of cars in the garage. Um, this week I've been in the Jeep Compass Trailhawk. So Woo! the, the Trailhawk uh, denotes um, special off-highway ability, that it's been rated to cope with very tough and challenging terrain off-road. Yeah, it's but has it, just, has, it, has it really? Well, Mal, Mal would have his say on this. <laughs> yeah. It's had the actual trail rating, Richard, I know we've had this yeah. conversation. So mm. we'll, leave, we'll put that to Mal uh, at mm. some point. But it's an around fifty thousand dollar car, so it's not it's not a small change kind of proposition. Gee, that's that's plenty of money. It is, isn't it? Um, so it's a two liter turbo diesel, one hundred and twenty five kilowatts, three fifty newton meters. Because it's a turbo diesel, you're getting all of those newton meters from about seventeen hundred and fifty rpm, so nice and low in the rev range. Nine speed auto, and of course, it's four wheel drive. Mm. Now, on the on the plus side. It's comfortable. It's surprisingly comfortable. Uh, maybe it's because the trailhawks typically ride on rims that are a little smaller than, than the standard ones. I'm not sure, but the upshot is that it rides really nicely. That It stood out. Um, fuel economy, it's claimed at 5.1 litres per 100 for a combined cycle uh, number. The actual I got was 9.2, which, yeah, it's well up on that. But actually, you know, for a car um, of that size, under 10, I suppose, is passable. It also has a huge two-panel sunroof. So your, your panoramic roof was delightful, you know, especially um, in the early evening. And it is nice to be able to have that light coming in. There's the clever kind of passenger storage under the passenger seat. You can flip the squab forward and there's storage under there. Not that I tried it, but I'm told it actually compromises the comfort of the seat, which is a bit of a downside to that. But anyway, it's there. Look, on the negative side, it's uh, what we'd call in Australia pretty gutless. Um, it doesn't, there's, there's really nobody home under the bonnet. Um, You've got to coax it along. It's loud. It's surprisingly loud um, mm. behind the wheel and, and outside the car. And on at least half a dozen occasions, I had the car sort of bogged down and almost come to a halt with the throttle pinned to the firewall. What? I was, yeah, I was just, come on, let's go. 
And mm. I found the technique that made it go was to almost like pump get out it and push. Get out and push. Look, that was surprising. Whether it was an issue with that car alone, I'm not sure. The interior design is complex. It's kind of all over the place. There's no particular theme, which is surprising from Jeep because they tend to do that pretty well. But I found different shapes, heights, things just happening all around the cabin. It wasn't very well unified. And just overall, I just didn't find it an inspiring, you know, it's fairly uninspiring. And when you think for that kind of money, you can get a RAV4 Edge with panoramic sunroof. <laughs> this yes. this this car, it's not in the same, it is not in the same race. You know, the, the RAV4 yeah. has got it all over it. So, look, if you're really determined to own a Jeep of some description, sure. But I think there are better options um, in the market would be the short story. Did yeah. you find all the bits, the all, all the little Easter eggs? Easter eggs. Yeah, I know you pointed several of them out to me, Richard. So that surprise was spoiled well and truly. So, uh, you know, I, did, I didn't... I didn't have the opportunity <laughs> to be surprised and delighted. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, oh, I've just dropped just my phone. Out. That's no. all right. I fell on my face. Um, for people that don't know, um, yeah, Jeep delight in putting in these little, the Jeep designers delight in putting these little things that people can find in. And, and in the case of the Compass, there's like a little plastic lizard that is on the windscreen and there's like a little World War II Willys Jeep sort of thing on the on the on the tire on the wheel rim um yeah it's cool i like finding them all well, yeah. i mean as we were saying richard um we were both having a look at that car and the jeep designers just seem to have some of the best design jobs in the mm. world they, they get out and do what the owners do to get into the zone and yeah. start to, to design the car around that particular lifestyle and they do have fun with easter eggs on you know maps of the moab trail or you know yeah, yeah, yeah. little lizards and things it's all huge fun um, but none of that can paper over the cracks, I think, that are, that are possibly there in this vehicle. I, but I think the best one is in the, uh, I think in the Ram TRX or T-Rex, the Easter egg there is a, uh, a T-Rex eating a Velociraptor. So yes. It's up, it's up <laughs> against the F-150 Raptor, which I thought was How pretty good. How good is that? Now, How good is that? That's now, great. Speaking of uh, dinosaurs, uh, the <laughs> T-Rex of the car industry <laughs> We're ready for Musquatch. Yes! <laughs> we, we said we wouldn't talk about his little arms, JC. Now you're calling him a T-Rex. There you go. All right, so let's kick it off. First of all, surprise, surprise, Elon's an anti-vaxxer. Um, he's he's Is it? what? Yeah, yeah, totally. He's come out oh, through the week. What a dick! So business Sorry, insider, <laughs> Business Insider Australia has has the story. Um, he was in conversation with a journalist, Kara Swisher, this week in an episode of the podcast called Sway, and he said that he believed he and his kids weren't at risk of contracting the coronavirus, and that he and his family weren't planning to get a COVID nineteen vaccine when one becomes available. Um, now, this is on the back of him constantly having downplayed the severity of the, the crime, yeah. particularly in its early stages. He said it was dumb and that it was a panic um, and he was promoting uh, hydroxychloroquine, um, you know, a malaria drug as a potential cure for yeah. it without any foundation at all. And he was also questioning the data around coronavirus deaths where there pre-existing conditions that caused death that were attributed mm. to coronavirus, all of that lather. <laughs> Um, and he's, and it, look, there's no evidence that he or his family are any less susceptible yeah, to right. this highly contagious virus yeah. that's now killed 
more than 200,000 Americans, by the way, of, of all ages. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson and his family can get coronavirus, anyone can. Yeah. Has, right. Chuck, has Chuck Norris had coronavirus? No. No, the coronavirus no. has had Chuck Norris. He has had Chuck Norris. <laughs> um, look, he also opposed the lockdowns um, because I think he was worried that his, his plants wouldn't be running. Um, and he said that didn't serve the greater good. Now, his, his point of view is that there could have been a selective lockdown where people at risk could have been sectioned off and segmented from the broader populace. Um, and, but at the same time, he did say in March that he thought there would be close to zero new cases by the end of April. And I'd just like to add that the cumulative total in the USA is now 7.3 million cases. Wow. Um, now, look, and he's not alone. Um, there have been some surveys. So just to get semi-political about it for a minute... Mm. This was an Ipsos Mori poll found that 33% of US respondents said they wouldn't get a vaccine as soon as one became available, citing concerns about side effects, which is kind of okay, I can get that. <laughs> but 20% of those respondents said they were opposed to vaccines in general. And it's also yes. worth noting that, that measles is making a decent comeback in the US at the moment. Uh, I would argue thanks in no small part to that attitude. If I, if I could just raise one vaguely controversial point for a moment. Oh, no. Are you oh, an no. answer as well, Chester? Yeah. I, I am unbelievable. You've got the camo pro- top on. Yeah, no. No, I'm <laughs> unbelievably pro-vaccine. And I, 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 I am anti-anti-vaxxers in their entirety. However, oh. I, there, is a, there is at least one small argument that says, I, I'm not sure that I would be, if there was a queue of 100 people to get the COVID-19 ah. vaccine, I, I'd like to be third. Just yeah, to see <laughs> what happens to Particularly the, the Russian one. Particularly yeah, the Russian correct. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems to have been on a very speedy, fast track. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> now, um, but back to more normal matters, and of course the dear leader has been on the Twitters, and he's posted up a meme, and it's actually, I discovered, a character called Frank. He's a cameo character in SpongeBob SquarePants. Now, Frank is a fish, Frank. orange fish, um, sitting. he's sitting on a bench, and the words underneath say, you'll ever be chilling, then think, damn, this is a real life. <laughs> um, seen that. that. That one? Okay, damn, this is real life. So demons came back and said, when I'm high, yeah. And, and <laughs> Rick, Amazing. Rick came out of the clouds and said, so when can you ship my ass to Mars? And can I get one of those brain implant chips that controls my phone? <laughs> And then a guy called Little Truth, um, and he's little. Hero. Is it little or is it Lil Truth? Lil Lil I L I L Lil Truth. Lil um, Truth. And his little hero is a selfie of him with a, a mega six pack. Whether it's him or someone else, I'm not sure. But that's the picture. And he says, "Yeah, without a vaccination, post vaccination, and the sheep are all dead. I've lost faith in humanity. Hire me." Oh, God. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a hell of a CV, isn't it? That's a wow. great, great pitch for a, uh, for a job. I, I hope he doesn't succeed at SpaceX. Let's put it that way. I've been writing um, my cover letters all wrong. Then there was another, another meme, which is more in actually in the SpaceX realm, uh, where it's four stars being joined by lines, you know, uh, in typical fashion, like the Big Dipper or, you know. Constellation star. Yeah. Correct. correct. Four stars joining in a close to straight line. And the meme says, ancient Greek astrologers be like, ah, yes, a goat. Now, Elon Musk says, centaur with a bow, obviously. So that was just hilarious. 
But <laughs> oh, some of the wow. comebacks, some of the comebacks were Ruji Bashai says, I love how a world-renowned scientist, he's calling Elon Musk a world-renowned scientist, by the way, posts a bunch of memes on his page. You're my favourite scientist, just above of Newton. <laughs> just above. Just, just above. above of Newton. I anyway, Stuart Anderson, Stuart Anderson says, just a minor thing, but I'd like to point out that astronomy and astrology are not the same thing, and astrology hasn't even been around that long. So <laughs> I was actually saying ancient Greek astrologers, uh, for those that had picked that already. And Gulzi, Gulzi says, is the picture spinning for anyone else? <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was re really good. Brilliant. So then, then we go to the share price. So it's $429.01. So it was mm. 380 and change last week. So it has gone up. Um, there had Incredible. been a fall, a big fall after battery day because people weren't impressed that everything that was talked about was down the track as opposed to an immediate, immediate benefit. Um, but as often happens as a quarter draw, draws to a close, this is according to the Motley Fuel. Uh, Motley Fool. Motley Stop. Fuel. The Motley Fuel. Copyright that. The, That's the a brilliant, fuel. brilliant um, idea. Investors in the electric vehicle manufacturer were anxious to find out whether the company will meet its delivery targets and keep growing. So we're, you know, end of a quarter, are there enough cars is the sausage machine pumping out enough vehicles um so a leaked email and there just always seems to be these very embarrassing leaked emails towards mm -hmm. the quarter from ceo elon musk suggested that the company would likely surpass the previous high of 112,000 vehicle deliveries um in uh, in the that was in the fourth quarter of 2019 that was their previous record so damn those leaked emails you know they just can, they can just I make a second, <laughs> a second request I'm yeah. banning the term uh, eight Richards Berries out, out of the podcast. I'm also banning a leaked email. Can we just, we have to just refer to leaked the email purposely revealed. Purposely revealed. <laughs> so, you know, the, the Motley, the Motley. What about a leaked Richard Berry? Is that? The, the Motley Fool no. saying ordinarily investors might forgive Tesla if it had failed to surpass its hoped for delivery numbers. But Tesla's stock price has been roaring so strongly, you know, to unprecedented heights that there's yeah. a huge expectation mm. they will because the, the shareholders want it to. But um, anyway, there you go. Um, and with that, we have reached the finish line. So oh, I want to say, say thank you, Chesto. And thank you, everyone. Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much. And thanks to our Director of First Impressions, Paradise Island caretaker and troublemaker troubleshooter, Mr. Pritchard, for his stellar technical prowess. Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, I'm big down under, Pritchard tartan pants, and genuine signed Hulk Hogan wrestling boots. Oh, wow. my goodness. What is it's the Pritchard tartan? Well, there's a picture on screen uh, for yeah. people watching on YouTube. It's, it's been in the family, obviously. Uh, for centuries, and those pants are pretty handy, I must say. Anyway, <laughs> please pass on the word about the podcast and let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram <clears throat> using the hashtag CG Podcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple Podcast listener, please rate and review us, and remember, you can watch us on YouTube. But before we go, mate of mine lives in Florida and told me he saw a bumper sticker saying, I miss the Bronx. So he broke the car's window, stole the stereo, and left a note saying, I hope this helps. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> Ding! <laughs>
I think we're. I think I'm about to drive through a tunnel. So I'll let my... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're breaking up. Oh, dear. Thank you, everyone. Oh.